This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. The One Tough Mother Podcast. The One Tough Mother Show is real talk with special guests, including industry leaders, celebrities, and amazing women who've overcome adversities to work their way to the top and are willing to share their real life lessons. Remember, you don't have to be a mother to be one tough mother. It's all about you. Hi, welcome to the One Tough Mother Show. Thank you so much for listening. I just can't believe how the change in the weather. I mean, we do live in the Northeast, and I say that to everybody all the time. But male manager mom and I have the fire going. It is cold, and this week we're supposed to get snow. I just can't get over it. Anyway, this week I want to talk about something I find is extremely important, and it's just not spoken about enough. Um, We've dedicated this show to mental health and bullying, actually, because sometimes these go hand in hand. Our guest is just an amazing woman, and I'm just so pleased to bring her story out for everyone to hear. In August of 2015, after enduring years of intense workplace stress, bullying, and harassment, Tracy Maxfield, a hardworking, highly skilled, caring, and compassionate nurse, hurtled headfirst down into the abyss of darkness, despair, pain, and sorrow. She affectionately named the rabbit hole. Now an author... Tracy has written a book, Escaping the Rabbit Hole, My Journey Through Depression, sold her home and gave away 80% of her possessions to travel the world as a staunch advocate for mental health, mental illness, awareness, and bullying. Tracy has completed the course, Bringing Mental Health to Schools, and she has met with children, teenagers, young adults to talk about bullying, mental illness, and was one of the breakout presenters at the TEACH 2019 conference in Jacksonville, Florida. Her website, tracymaxfield.com, was recently awarded the silver medal for Best Author Website 2019 at the Elite Awards. Her book, Escaping the Rabbit Hole, is a top 10 finalist in the nonfiction category at the Author Academy Awards, and Tracy has spoken on over 60 podcasts in the U.S. and Canada, New Zealand, and the U.K., live radio shows, ABC, NBC, and Fox News. It's with great pleasure that we welcome to the One Tough Mother Show the fabulous and amazing Tracy Maxfield. Hello, Tracy. Thank you. What a lovely introduction. Um, Actually, I'm the one expressing gratitude and appreciation for the opportunity to be on your show 
as you know, I've been bugging you for a long time. So, And I'm so I, thankful you did because I think what you've done and what you're doing is just amazing. And I think that it takes a lot for somebody to go out and spill their guts in front of so many people. And you have done that. Yes. And I must be honest, um, I did have that hesitation um, just before the book was about to be published because you, when you read in that final proof and then you have to press that button. And I thought, do I really want to be out there? And I thought, then, you know what, I have to do this because um, I think the only way people truly understand what it's like living with depression or in fact, any any of the mental illnesses, and to have that suicide ideation is to hear the raw, real truth. And that was my book. I pulled no punches. Um, everyone knows everything about me. Um, and I realized that I really had to do it because if you sugarcoat things, um, then people really don't trust you and don't understand and I've, I must be honest, I've had no regrets since I, since I, you know, pressed that button and the book went out to the mass global audience. So um, it's all good. I think that's the only way to create awareness and help correct the myths and misinformation that's out there about mental illness and suicide and even bullying is to tell the story truly from your own heart and your own experiences. I agree. And that's what makes our show, like we're really raw and honest and authentic. And that's what makes it so important is for people to hear it. Tracy, let's go back. Let's go back to how this all started. I mean, I know that you're a nurse. I know that you were a nurse for years and you endured years of intense workplace stress. But was it before that, Tracy? Was it was there something in childhood, something in teens? Were, were you always battling depression? In hindsight, when I look back, um, yes, um, I endured really, really nasty, horrible childhood abuse. Um, initially, it started off as physical. And then when, when I learned to run fast enough to barricade the door in my room, um, it then turned to uh, intense emotional abuse and threats. And it was horrible. Uh, when I was a child from the age of two, I always knew I was going to be a nurse. And from the age of five, my passion was to move to the United States. And so even at such a young age, I had these goals, which kind of fueled me through those dark days. I didn't understand as a child that what I was experiencing was depression because I was just living day by day to get through the abuse. And I kind of, you know, it was just, let's get to age 18, and then let's go nursing, and then decide from there. And now, after I've been doing so many presentations, and I've done such a lot of research into ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, when I look at the ACE scores, mine was five out of 10, and I thought, well, of course, as far as I'm concerned, you know, of course I'm going to get depression. It's because of everything, you know, all that traumatic stress that I dealt with and the experiences. And I thought, you know, the writing was really on the cards. Right, right. Was so, it parental? Did you have yeah. siblings as well? 
Yes. So my, I had, um, I have one brother. Uh, he endured it to a certain degree, but I would take the brunt of it because I was the older sister. So I was very much in nurture, protective mode, and so I protected my brother and my mother. Of course, the challenge was was that my mother was also very abusive, but in a very different way, um, and we never had that support from a parental role model and so it was just I mean it even persisted after I moved to another country and got married and finally it was at age 25 that 25 27 that I said that's it I can't do this anymore it's going to kill me and I severed all ties okay all right so you moved to another country and did you just kind of, you just wanted to bury it all, right? You just wanted several ties. You want to bury it all. You don't want anything, you know, to bring anything up. And you really plunge yourself fully and wholeheartedly into nursing and caring for people. Because as you said, as a child, you were already a caregiver. You were yes. already, you already had that role. Yeah. So when then did it really present itself as the ugly monster that it, it was? And then it took over your life. So... I had my first um, experience of clinical depression when I was in my early 30s, and I recognized it as depression. Um, I, I had read enough books and I'd met enough people to know I was depressed, and I immediately went and saw my doctor and got help. And with antidepressants, I was only on them actually for a year before um, we ca I came off. And with therapy, I was able to move forward and it didn't really suck me down a rabbit hole. Um, it resolved within a, within a year and I always felt I was progressing forward. And then life went back to normal and it was about 13 years later, I had another episode and this time it was a little bit worse, but I still recognized it as, oh gosh, I've got the, the big black D is back in my life. And at that time, my doctor sent me to see a psychiatrist who determined that I actually had genetic depression based on family history and explained at that point that in all likelihood, um, chances are maybe every 10 to 15 years, if there were a lot of stresses going on into my, in my life, it isn't unusual to have another episode of depression and so I was aware of that but I certainly didn't have it you know marked on a calendar like watch out getting close this is going to be time for depression and it was a, a series of triggers I would say um, in 2013 my then husband and I separated um, I moved out I bought my own home kind of started life I knew as a single woman, so really threw myself into work. At the time, the workplace bullying had started, but I really just ignored it um, because I, I loved my job. I was really good at it, and I just kept working and working. And then, obviously, with the stresses of then there was a divorce and all the challenges that come with the divorce, uh, the bullying got worse and worse to where I could see it was impacting my health. I ended up having two episodes of pneumonia um, and I was never ill. I'd accumulated so much sick time that I mean, uh, it was unreal. And 
at the back of my mind, it was saying, you need to leave this job. Things are going to get worse. I just knew things were going to get worse. I sensed it. And your health is starting to suffer. And before I even had time to act, it just, everything just went. It was like a tornado. I mean, you didn't even have time to catch your breath. It just went from one thing to another thing to another thing, which culminated in the meeting on August 20th, 2015, where after one and a half hours, I walked out, I was broken. I was completely broken. And I went home and I was just crying. I felt, what am I going to do? How am I going to move forward? how can I even figure this out? And I went to bed. And when I woke up in the morning, I couldn't move. And I literally, I honestly thought I'd had a stroke in the night. I could not move. And when I finally did move and kind of worked my way to the edge of the bed, I was thinking, what happened in the night? It's like someone came and just poured cement all over me. And when I got up to walk, I couldn't, I was literally crawling. And I, I did not recognize that as depression. I knew I was I couldn't stop crying and I was sad and I felt hopeless. But because of the physical presentation that I was experiencing and the pain, I thought something else had happened. And the next thing I know, that was Friday morning, Saturday night, I make my first suicide attempt. Okay. And then I realized I was in trouble, but still despite my experience and my knowledge of my two previous episodes, this one was so completely unlike the other episodes that I didn't recognize it for depression until I sat in my doctor's chair and she looked at me and she said, you've just had an acute break. You've got an acute depression and your brain is shattered. And then it was like, OMG. And so, and so it began. Oh, so, so was this, this abuse and bullying was by someone at your workplace? Yes, it was by a superior. And they didn't, and, and no one at your workplace sided with you or could protect you? No, I actually went to eight different levels of management. And uh, I was told by one in a very high position that if I was prepared to pursue it, they would side with her because that is what they routinely do and I probably would be better off finding a new job. What year was that, Tracy? What year was that happening? 2014, 2015. So it began in 2011. So not that awful long ago. No. And I, it blows my mind at the level of ignorance that these people that these people showed. And Tracy, was that in the States? Was that here? No, no, that was in Canada. And of course, the irony was that um, as I was going through this, it was brought to my attention that I was one of her many victims. And I was the very first person to actually file a legal grievance. And of course, that didn't help either because... Um, then I was, I was seen as, because I was always very assertive and stood up for myself and would not take anything, um, they saw me as a troublemaker. And unfortunately, I mean, we know in the healthcare industry, um, bullying, especially bullying of nurses, 
is really bad. I mean, there's a saying, nurses eat their young. Oh. And, and um, the union, even though they supported me, um, when it came time to fight, this was a very large, powerful organization. When it came time to actually fight for them, they backed down and they wouldn't. And I realized I was truly on my own. Um, as it is, this person has finally been dealt with, but she actually got to her 12th victim before they did something. That's so and sad. That's just unbelievable. To me, it's appalling because there are so many of us and every single one either ended up, who was subjected to this person, either ended up leaving nursing, moving to a different occupation in a different um, area of the healthcare industry, or actually ended up going off on disability like I did. And uh, it, it's so it's so shameful that they can they're allowed to get away with that, and it's so common. Um, Australia is going through something very very similar right now, where it doesn't matter what bullying policies they have in place, what whistleblower policies. I actually used the confidential whistleblower policy, and they actually sent an email to my manager telling her I'd filed a complaint about her. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. In this uh, day and age, I just, I mean, I know it was a few years ago, but it wasn't that awful long ago. And no, I know. Unbelievable to me. So, so this goes on. And, 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 and let me just say, first of all, nursing is so highly stressful as it is. Exactly. You're getting it from the patients. You're getting it from the, the patient's um, families. Family. You're getting yep. it from the doctors. Yes. So, I mean, it's such a difficult, difficult industry as it is to be bullied by a superior, to leave something you love and something you did very well at. That just sickens me. And, I mean, I think it was coming to the terms and recognizing all of that, which, which also um, has led me to, to actually pursue the mission that I'm on right now because – if I went through all that and I'm an adult and so, you know, I've got social skills and learned experiences and coping strategies that I've developed over the years. And if I ended up going down the rabbit hole and almost dying many times, how can we possibly expect our kids to try and deal with that? And so that's why after I met with so many uh, children and teenagers and actually walked a mile in their shoes to see what they were living with and dealing with. I thought, girl, you've got to be, you've got a big mouth. You're outspoken. You've got to be the one to stand up and say, take a look at what's going on with our kids. And it's, I mean, it's funny in my book, in the final chapter, as I'm summarizing everything, I actually say what I consider what happened to me a gift. Right. Right. And and whilst I would not want to go through it again, um, it's provi it provided me with the ultimate learning opportunity, but, but also an experience that enabled me to develop more strength than I realized I had. And I emerged from the rabbit hole a different person. And everyone who's kind of been in their own rabbit hole or whatever they liken their 
their family tragedy or their grief or their mental illness to has said they come out of it very different. Um, I came, I started expressing gratitude as a way to try and help me heal and mindfulness and it's suddenly amidst all this pain and darkness and hopelessness, um, the fact that you can still see beauty in life and appreciate little things that give you joy and meaning, um, I emerged very, very different. And that's why I ended up selling my home and giving away my possessions because I thought, you know, this is a brand new life journey take a chance and go out there and try and make a difference. And, right. and that's, that's what I did. Um, if, any, if, if this hadn't happened, then most certainly um, we wouldn't be talking now. And so as horrible as the experience was, um, I, I, I still see the gift that it gave me. So you sold your home. You yes. actually gave away all of your possessions. 80% 80 of my possessions I donated to charity. And you now took the money that you sold your home, that you got from your home, and travel around and speak, right? Yeah, that's what I do. Yes. And and it's it, did it, it had to have started off relatively slow, or were you accepted right away? Oh, no. I'm still, I'm still pushing my way through doors, Karen. Um, I think the biggest challenge is, is that mental illness and suicide is a topic that people are still not willing to recognize as a part of life. Um, it happens. And everyone, if we sat down and asked, you know, every single person in a shopping mall, say, um, do, you, do you have or do you know someone? who has experienced a mental illness, every single person will say, if they haven't been through it, there's someone they know who has. And it, it touches people on so many different levels. And yet we're still not comfortable. It's that stigma and that shame that's attached to it that people don't really want to go there. And then many times they're kind of forced into it by um, a very unpleasant situation and all of a sudden now they have to deal with it and it's it's a shame we still have um that stigma um i'm i i considered when i first started on this journey so it was it was april 2018 i was on the bottom rung of the ladder and now i'm i'd say i'm on the middle rung but i'm a rung above it Good. Excellent. I'm, I'm up a middle. <laughs> so I, Tracy, I'm just so amazed. And so, again, I'm just so honored that you came on the show to talk about your story. And you actually go to schools, right, and, and industries and talk about this to people. Because let me tell you something. It's shocking to me that in 2019, suicide is such still a taboo subject, yet yeah. we all know people or someone yeah. or someone who knows someone who is either attempted or committed. Absolutely. And I mean, this kind of gives you, puts things in perspective. So on Saturday in Wichita, Kansas, I had a book signing, but the, the reason for the book signing was actually to create awareness around 
suicide because September was Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And there was a lady, a grandmother, who her family have been um, petitioning the Kansas government to, to pass some new laws um, regarding suicide. Um, her granddaughter died by suicide. Um, it, it was it it was just so unbelievably sad, and so she wanted to share her story. And the Kansas state legislator, who has been pushing to get mental health into schools, and the mayor, who had just done a proclamation on suicide, um, also agreed to attend. And so we invited people because we wanted to openly talk about suicide and resources and getting help and what we need to do. And then the book signing was just like at the end. It wasn't the focus. It was actually getting out that message. And we had invited the local newspaper and the TV stations, and they had all agreed to come, especially because we had two um, local uh, politicians really there. And when it came to the the actual presentation, not one media person showed up because there was the Kansas State Chili Cook-Off one block away. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, unbelievable, I know. And they couldn't even, even though it was an eight-hour event and they had been there since nine o'clock that morning and our event was three o'clock in the afternoon, they could not even leave for 30 minutes to come and take a short video recording, even of the, the Kansas State Legislator stating what the next plan was with mental health for kids, or the mayor write us reading his proclamation. They did not come for that. And I was very frustrated, but the, the grandmother um, who had shared her story about her granddaughter uh, was very upset, and to, to us, it was that was the final insult. It was like, "Are you kidding me? You, you, ha we have this crisis, and Kansas has a crisis with suicide amongst teenagers. We have this crisis. We have people coming to talk about it, and you can't even give us the time of day. You draw the cover a chili cook-off, and that kind of put things into a very sad perspective." But it also reflects what I'm, I'm, what I'm dealing with as well. It's, um, you know, you're, you're just trying to get that door open wide enough that you can walk in and say, look, I know what I'm talking about. I can give you good information that's going to help you. Um, but as I said, it is what it is, right? You, we just keep moving. It's one step at a time. And my hope is every single time I say something, post something, do something, it touches one person that um, has given them something in their life that they can hold on to. And that's what it is, right? right. It, it's, it, it's one person at a time. Right. And sometimes you will never know who you've touched um, unless they contact you. But that's, it's kind of... Um, it's very much an invisible kind of journey, but um, I keep going because... Oh, absolutely, because suicide really 
really affects the people that are left behind. I mean, oh, of course, it's absolutely. tragic. It's absolutely tragic that someone kills themselves. But the people that are left behind live with that pain, with that oh. memory, with that that helplessness, with that feeling guilt, guilt yeah. that, that you couldn't stop it or you couldn't see it coming for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. And it's, it's such a horrible topic and it's but and it's such a necessary topic for schools, for for children to hear and for children to know because there's some I they idle like they make this like suicide is something grand and and this is this grand gesture and it's not. No. no. I mean suicide is is the is that final step to end that horrible pain it's just that pain and exhaustion is so overwhelming that the mere thought of having to continue you know another hour or another day or another week is like i can't do it and it's it's final and i cannot believe i mean i've met teenagers 13 that have attempted suicide i know of a 6 year old who attempt, has attempted suicide many times, six years old. And it's, it is beyond sad. I mean, that children are choosing to die by suicide. They have their whole lives ahead of them. And we're obviously not offering them that sense of purpose and that unconditional love and that sense of hope that they feel I can work through this pain and I will get better. It's, it's unfathomable. And I find it interesting. Um, this, the suicide hotline, it's awesome. And I've had to phone them to help track someone down that had contacted me <laughs> suicidal and they are great, but they're talking about raising funds because they anticipate that in the next five years, our suicide rate just in the United States will triple. Will triple. And I'm saying to them, why are we raising funds for you to open more suicide hotline prevention centers across the country? Why aren't we taking that money and pouring it into preventative measures and education? Right. You know, I'm very much, let's deal with the problem upstream. No, don't wait till it hits the big waterfall downstream. And then we're try, we're running around trying to deal with the, the catastrophe. And right. it, it's, I mean, to me, if they're already predicting that it's going to triple. And we know, right, suicide is the second leading cause of death for children aged 5 to 24. Wait a minute, Last wait a minute, year. stop, stop. The second leading cause of death for children aged 5 to 24. 5 to 24. Last year, it was the third. This year, the, the research they've released is it's now the second leading cause of death in children ages 5, 5 to 24. Now, in a year or so, I anticipate it's going to be the number one leading cause of death. And, and what do you Tracy, what do we do? What what do we do with this? Besides, I mean, it has to be an initiative in this in the education level. It has to be because parents, everybody's 
a two-parent household. I mean, they both work. I mean, kids are left on their own with their own devices. They're left with an open world, the internet. And it has to start somewhere. Where do you want to see this start? Well, I mean, my ideal world is that as soon as children enter school, that we start educating them about mental health. What is, I mean, we all have mental health, right? The brain and the body is connected. What happens in the brain affects the body. Similarly, what happens in the body affects the brain. And we start talking to them about stress and anxiety and failure and emotions and start helping them develop coping strategies instead of giving them a pill. I mean, I read a paper that, you know, that over 4,000 children under the age of one in the United States are taking antidepressants. Wait, under the age of what? One, one. Can you believe that? Under 12 months. Under 12 months to take an antidepressants. Can, can you actually get your head around that? I can't imagine because that a doctor it, would prescribe something like that. Oh, but they do because, again, we've, we're caught in, in a system where it's let's give them a pill for whatever ails you, right? I mean, I know six-year-olds who were taking Ativan because they're stressed because of exams. And it's at what point are we not sitting down with them and saying, okay, so this is actually normal stress, right? It's, and stress is good for us because stress helps us develop coping strategies. It helps us to learn from situations. It helps us develop self-worth and confidence. It's, it's part of life, right? You're not going to go through life without ups and downs and sad moments and stresses. The stress that's bad for you is toxic stress. And that's when, you know, you're in a neighborhood where there's murders and drugs and shootings going on all the time. Or you go home and mom is being beaten by dad and you're being abused by an uncle. And that's classified as toxic stress. But we can't, I mean, we've become such a nation where we're trying to be stress-free. You can't be stress-free. It's not good for you. It's, we need to teach everyone, especially our kids, on how to actually manage the stress and to recognize what is good stress, what is anxiety. These feelings are normal, you know, feeling sad, feeling angry, and you know, it's just coping skills. These kids need to learn coping skills. And and we also need to teach them values and social skills because kids today have, I mean, they've allowed social media to become their babysitters. But what's happened is that the role models are now Hollywood models and starlets and pop stars. And whilst lots of them have good qualities you know, if you're following, like, for example, I, I, I use the Kardashians an awful lot just because they have a huge following, but they emulate things which a teenage girl will never achieve. Right. And it, it's, it's creating a false sense of what your life, idealized life should 
be and that's such a huge problem we we've we built a generation of kids of comparison you know well well look at her she's got everything it's materialistic so if i have that iphone i'll be just as popular and oh look she gets her lashes done and she's got her lips done and she's only 13 and so i need to do that because beauty defines who you are and you're now the most popular and it's like actually no that isn't when did we move to that right you know that that and we have to put, start pulling back from it because, I mean, we're losing the generation. We are losing so, an entire generation. Right. And, and you're so right. And so where, where do you, where, what is your goal? What do you see? What are you trying to accomplish? I mean, I obviously know what you're trying to accomplish, but what, what is your, your, your real, like, what would you really like to happen immediately to stop this education system? Like, who do you go to? Where do you, what do you need? Where do you need to go to start really making a difference? Well, I mean, you've, there's two, right? You go, you go to the legislators, you go to the people in the government at the, the local, but also at the federal level. And it's introducing mental health teaching in the classrooms from the get-go right now right now they're doing an awful lot of push on teenagers in high school that's awesome but let's get them before then let's actually get them when they're two three four years old when they start that preschool and it's just because that's when we can start shaping them Kids are innocent and respectful and kind and helpful by nature. And we don't want to lose that suddenly at age seven or eight when we put these overwhelming pressures of school life and society on them. When, and that's ideally what I'd like to see happen. Okay. I think that's and, a great plan. I think that's and, and of course, to do that, you also need to start educating parents and counselors and teachers and the general public of, you know, it's the same. Bullying. I mean, the school shootings are caused by a child or a teenager who was bullied and no one responded. But we also know that bullying leads to mental health problems. You know, Tracy, I... I know, and we hear this all the time, and I really hope that someone listening to this contacts you. I really hope that someone hope with, with some kind of clout or some type really, really contacts you or any of the other guests that we have on and tries to put something together because you, I believe you're 100% right. I believe this starts from very, very young. I believe it starts with children and, and that we need to change the way we're growing and patterning our next generation and help them learn to cope and, and help them learn to, to be able to feel without feeling guilty. So I I thank you so very much for for doing what you do and to the extreme that you've sold your home and and given away your possessions to do this. It's just amazing to me. And again, I want everyone to know where they can find you and I want them to hear about your book. Tell them the name of your book again. So my book is Escaping the Rabbit Hole, My Journey Through Depression. And it's available in Kindle, paperback and audio. 
um, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, um, or they can go to my website and it's, it also shows uh, where to get it uh, globally. And obviously, um, to contact me, they can contact me via my website, which also then takes me to all my YouTube videos and social media links, uh, www.tracymaxfield.com. Excellent, Tracy. Well, thank you so very much for your time. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, everyone out there or anyone out there that, that wants to speak to Tracy or would like to contact her or support her or, or has a suggestion on how maybe she can get to the people she needs to get to, please, please, please contact her. Um, I think what you're doing is amazing, and I can't thank you enough, and I can't agree with you anymore. Uh, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Oh, of course. And again, it's Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-Y, maxfield.com. Thank That's you, Tracy. Me. Have a lovely, lovely day. You too. Thank you, Karen. You're welcome. Bye -bye. And we'll be right back. The One Tough Mother Podcast. Real talk with amazing women who have worked their way to the top and want to share their real life lessons with you. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Tracy Maxfield. It was a marvelous interview, and I really appreciate you being on our show. So with that, I'm going to say today's mother says is, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Kindness is the cure, everyone. Be kind, be happy, and We'll have another great show soon. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you.